Well, uh, if you would, to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We are in kind of continuing our exposition of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in verses uh, 25 to 32. But I just want to read the whole context, this whole section here, starting at verse 19. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Well, I want to paint a a picture for you this morning as we begin here, a a picture of what a disciple of Jesus Christ could be. And it's a, in my mind, it's a a happy picture of a worry-free life. Jesus tells those who follow him, those of us who follow him to lay up treasures in heaven. And we're to do that as we've seen by using the treasure that we have now to serve the Lord. Jesus calls us to use our time and talents and resources to serve Him while we live in this world. And as we use earthly treasures, we will be rewarded with heavenly treasures in the age to come. We are to have a single focus on God and and His glory. And our aim is to be to please Him. And whatever we do, we do for His sake and for the sake of Christ. So long as it is according to His Word, it will be rewarded. 
And what we're picturing then is a disciple of Christ who is devoted to God, who loves God, and who wants to serve Him with his or her life. And what will he or she do to lay up treasures in heaven? Well, Matthew hasn't said too much about this yet, but he'll make it clear as we go through the gospel. But first of all, to lay up treasures in heaven, a disciple will be committed to pursuing the righteousness of the kingdom. A disciple will seek to be conformed to the image of God's holiness. And he or she will aim at being perfect as their heavenly father is perfect. And that's part of what it means to lay up treasures in heaven, to have the righteousness of the kingdom. And then secondly, a disciple is going to do certain things. We need to, to do something. And, 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 and what do we do? Well, to make it really simple, our goal is to reach lost people with the gospel and just help save people grow to be like Christ. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 4.19. And another way to say this would be that building treasures in heaven is participating in building the church. Christ is building his church, a people set apart to himself, and we're to join him in this work. We're to make disciples of all nations, teaching them obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And each of us serves the Lord in this work according to our gifts and abilities and talents and station in life. Parents will spend most of their time rightly raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But each of us has our own unique role to play in this work. All of us are gifted differently to serve the Lord. All of us have different opportunities to serve the Lord, different amounts of time and energy and resources and all of those things. But together, we're the body of Christ, and each one doing his or her part causes the growth of the body. And this picture then is a a, a picture of a disciple focused on God, loving God, and serving God by loving and serving people. And we're involved in the church, and, and therefore, with that involvement in the church, we're growing to be like Christ. And this disciple does not belong to himself or herself. He or she has been bought with a price and they've given up their lives for Jesus' sake. They are slaves of Christ and slaves of God. Now at this point you might be thinking, well, I thought you said you were going to paint a happy picture of a disciple of Christ. Well, it is a happy picture and that the happiness involves kind of three parts as I think about it. First of all, a disciple has turned to God, and their eyes have been opened to His loveliness. God is the source of all joy. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, Matthew ten thirty nine, and again in Matthew sixteen twenty five. And so a disciple is one who has turned to God. Secondly, a disciple will have eternal lasting treasure in heaven. What we give up and suffer now will be rewarded a hundredfold in heaven. And then thirdly, and this is our focus today, this is the happiness of this slave of Christ, a disciple who serves God as a slave and gives up his life for Christ has God as his or her master. And we also have God as our father. And as such, God will provide and care for his servants and his children. 
All we have to do is focus on his kingdom and his righteousness. A life of serving God then should also be a life free from anxiety. We are his slaves, we are his servants, we are his children, and he cares for us. We just have to focus on one thing, pleasing God, loving him, devotion to him, and everything else, he says he will take care of it. Verse 28, Jesus asks, why are you anxious? And he tells us in verse 25, do not be anxious. Again in verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. Verse 34, same thing. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. The life of a disciple of Jesus Christ is meant to be focused on one thing, on glorifying God. And focused on the glory of God to such an extent that we don't even worry about anything else. This is to be a life walked with God, trusting Him, depending on Him and knowing Him. And when we're doing that, when we're thinking about God, we will see that there's no reason to worry. And as we go through this text, we're going to notice an emphasis on thinking. Jesus gives reasons not to be anxious. Jesus says, look at the birds. Think, think about the birds. Consider the lilies. Think about how God works with grass. Jesus wants us to think about God and about who he is, and he wants us to to think about anxiety. Why do we worry? And in this passage, Jesus gives five reasons not to be anxious. Five reasons not to be anxious. And they all kind of go, do not be anxious because. Now, as we get into this, we should note that anxiety is something that we all face. Jesus knew we would struggle with this, and he spent a good section of his sermon, this Sermon on the Mount, addressing this very issue. Jesus doesn't want us to be worried. He wants us to entrust ourselves to God. He gives us reasons not to worry, and then he commands us not to do it, not to worry, not to be anxious. And we might need this more, maybe more than ever right now. If there was, if there was ever reason to worry in our society, surely the time is now, at least in, in our lifetimes. And I, I even, as I was thinking about this, I almost, I hesitate to even give reasons why we might be tempted to worry because it might take away from the, what we actually need to focus on here and what Jesus is commanding us to do. Jesus' words here are timeless, they're for all time, and they're for us, and we need to heed them today probably more than ever. And so let's, let's kind of jump into this here then. Verse 25, do not be anxious because, number one, you have life. So number one, you have life. Do not be anxious because you have life. And the first thing we should notice is that Jesus gives a command, And it's a solemn command. He says in verse 25, therefore I tell you. Or therefore, literally, therefore I say to you. And I I, I say to you shows us Jesus' authority. The Lord is telling us something important. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious. Now, the grammar guys will point out that this, this wording in the original means 
to stop an action that's already happening. And so Jesus' disciples are to stop being anxious. They, they are anxious already about their lives. And he says, stop being anxious about your lives. Now, what does it mean to be anxious? <clears throat> the word itself means to have anxiety, to be anxious, to, to care for something or about someone. And it refers to apprehension, anxiety, or worry. Sometimes this word is used in a good way to refer to proper concern for, for others, attending to their, the needs of others or attending to their situation. There's like a, a concern for others that, that, that there's an anxiety tied with that, that it's concern for others and it's in a, it's used in a good way. But more often it speaks to undue concern, over concern and and we might think about Mary and Martha in that. Remember Martha was anxious and troubled about many things, Luke 10:41. Mary on the other hand was focused, remember if you remember that text, Mary was focused on one thing. And Jesus called it the good portion and the the one thing necessary, which was hearing his word, sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. And so anxiety has to do with concern. And it, it warns us of trouble in our world. But often we, we overreact to trouble or, or we get concerned about troubles, troubles that don't even exist. That's, that's kind of when we enter into what I might call sinful anxiety. And so anxiety has this, this central thing and it's a good thing. It's a concern. It's a thing that God has given us so that we recognize when to be alarmed in our world. But often we, we overreact and we react to things that aren't even happening. And when we overreact to trouble or we imagine worst case scenarios or we imagine these what if circumstances, our concerns move into the sinful anxiety that Jesus condemns in this passage. When we're anxious, we're worried or distracted. Our minds kind of go over and over and round and round and uh, the same troubles again and again. And anxiety happens when we try to control our world or when we forget that God is the one who's in control. Anxiety is the opposite of trusting God. And anxiety is also the opposite of being content. Often anxiety is connected to what what we call inordinate desires. Wanting something. Wanting something that we don't have or Sometimes not wanting something to happen to us. And when we, when we don't want something to happen to us and we can, we can start to worry about what if it does happen to us or if we want something that we don't have, we can say, uh, we can just kind of think over and over again and get distracted in our minds about wanting that thing. And that's the anxiety that Jesus is talking about when he says, do not be anxious. Now, specifically here, Jesus says, do not worry about your life. But really, if we search the scriptures, we would see that we're not to fear or be anxious about anything. There's really nothing that we are to be anxious about, at least in that sinful, kind of overreacting kind of anxiety that we so often struggle with. And in this context, Jesus has in view 
anxiety that comes in connection with our view of possessions or, or, or anxiety connected to treasures on earth, on, in this world, what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear. And this then gets to the heart because we cannot lay up treasures on earth but still be overly concerned about our possessions. Sorry, I said that totally wrong. We, I'm trying to think how I'm supposed to say this. When, we can, you know, if you think about this, you can, you can refrain from laying up treasures on earth. But you can still, so you can have maybe no possessions, you can have nothing, but you can still be anxious about possessions. A, a, a homeless man in a, in a cardboard box can be anxious about his possessions, even though he has no treasure on earth. And so this not only just is a, about what we do then, Jesus, again, in this sermon, like he always does, he's getting to our hearts and to our thinking, and he wants us to not only not lay up treasures on earth, but he also wants us to not even be anxious about what we possess on this earth. The Sermon on the Mount continually gets to our hearts and asks us things like, who do we serve? Where is your treasure? And what are you anxious about? And when you answer those questions, it shows where our hearts are. So we are not to be anxious. Look at verse 25 again. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And by life here, Jesus seems to mean those things that sustain our physical being, what we eat and drink and wear. And the rhetorical question there, is not life more than food? It it expects a positive answer. Of course, life is more than food. Of course, life is more than food. And I think there's two aspects to this question at the end of verse 25. I think there's kind of two things that the Lord is, is kind of trying to point out by this rhetorical question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And the first part here seems to be an argument from the greater to the lesser. Life and the body is greater than food and clothing. And I, I think I could put it like this. Since you have life, and since you have a body, and since God made you and granted you life, will he not also give you the food and clothing needed to sustain that life and that body? You kind of see how that argument works? You have life. You have a body. God gave you life. God gave you a body. He's going to give you the lesser thing of food and clothing. If he gave you life, surely he will give you the thing that sustains the life which he gave you. If God gave you the greater thing, he will surely give you the lesser thing as well, food and clothing. And that's kind of the first part of, of the argument that the Lord's making. And secondly, we could say that, that life is more in the sense that there's, there's more to life than simply food and clothing. I could put it like this maybe. Why are you anxious about such trivial things when when life is about so much more than merely food and clothes. 
Don't miss out on the more important things in life by being caught up in the basic necessities of life. I think that's what Jesus is, is telling us there. Don't get caught up on, the, on the, the basic necessities and forget about the most important necessary thing. When we focus on this world or when we focus on possessions, on what we have, we're losing sight of, of so much more. We're losing sight of God's glory. We're losing sight of enjoying Him. Life is meant to be lived in, in sweet fellowship with God, not in, not in anxiety about what we have or what we don't have. And with that, I want to say this, that whenever we find anxious thoughts within us, we'll always find that we've lost sight of what I'm going to call the more. We've lost sight of God. Whenever we're, we're going over and over in our mind with the, the troubles and difficulties and we're kind of going round and round the, the problems and concerns that we have, whenever we do that, we've, we've lost sight of God. Thinking about God and His greatness and His presence with us, that's the cure for anxious thoughts. And the, the one pushes out the other. Focus on the, the more, focus on God and anxiety will be pushed out. But if you focus on the what ifs and the, the scenarios and the, the concerns, all of a sudden you'll notice that God is, is being pushed out and you've lost sight of him and you've forgotten about him. And so Jesus says life is more and he wants us as his disciples to be focused on God and his glory and serving him and to let, let God kind of push out those other concerns. And so the first reason not to be anxious is you have life. And if you have life, God has given you the greatest thing already. And then even more, we could say if you have eternal life through Jesus Christ, God has given his own son even for you. And if you have life and if God has given his son for you, then surely God will care for you in the lesser ways of food and clothing. And so the first reason not to be anxious is that, number one, you have life. And now the second reason not to be anxious that Jesus gives, verse 26, do not be anxious because, number two, you are more valuable than birds. You are more valuable than birds. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus wants us to look at the birds. The parallel passage in Luke 12 says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And so Jesus wants us to look or consider. He wants us to consider something from nature, birds, and and even we could say more specifically, think about these ravens. Birds, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't they don't gather. They don't, they don't plant food. They don't harvest food. They, they don't store food. They don't, they don't do the farming, right? Birds, birds don't farm. They don't do any of those things that, that provide us with most of our food. When you think about those things, those are the things that, that by which we grow the food that we eat for the most part. And the birds don't do any of those things. But still, your heavenly Father feeds them. God provides for the birds. God feeds them. 
But he doesn't do it apart from their own efforts. Birds are, are busy. They're looking for food. They hunt and forage. They, they do work, but they don't, they don't farm. They don't plant food. They don't grow food. But the food that, that they have, that the father feeds them with, is, is, is something that, that they don't produce by their own efforts. The food they find has, has, in a sense, nothing to do with their own efforts. They didn't make that food come. It's just, there and they they search for it and they'd work but but God feeds them they don't farm worms they find them God makes the worms grow God provides whatever the birds eat the seeds and the worms and whatever else birds have less ability think about it they have less ability than us to provide food for themselves and when you think about the birds flying around, you, you just know, it, it's just like an instinctive thing. They are not worried. They're just out there searching for food and, and God feeds them. And actually the text says, your heavenly father feeds them. God cares for his creation, but he's your father. Psalm 104, 24 talks about how God feeds creation. It says, O Lord, O Yahweh, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you, what, these, all these creatures that God has made on the earth and on the sea, these all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. That's Psalm 104. Psalm 147 verses 7 to 9 says this, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. Why should we do that? Verse 8 says, He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives food to the, He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. And so if God provides for the animals, how much more will He care for you? They are his creatures, but we are his children. And that's really the argument here. They are the creatures. We are his children. If he provides for them, how much more will he provide for us? And actually, when you think about it, the ravens, if we think about the ravens in particular, they were unclean birds. But we, we've been made clean through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God will provide for us surely more than he does for them. Jesus says, are you not of more value than they? And the form of the question shows that the answer that Jesus intends is, yes, we are more valuable than the birds. We are worth more than the birds. That's what that word means. We are superior to the birds. You see, man alone was made in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image of God. And so don't worry, because if God feeds the birds and you are more valuable than them and you have more ability than them and even you are his children, then he will care for you. You're more valuable than birds. Now this doesn't mean that we don't need to work or sow or reap or gather or whatever we do to provide a living. 
God will provide for us by providing work for us in most cases. But we shouldn't worry, though, because God will provide for his children. And so that was number two. Then number three, another reason not to be anxious. Do not be anxious, number three, because you can do nothing by worrying. You can do nothing by worrying. Worrying is not going to do you any good at all. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That question there, which of you, that that particular form of a question occurs about 11 times in the New Testament. and, And each time it comes, it expects a strong negative answer. Nobody can do this. Nobody can add an hour to his life. Another translation could be, who can add a cubit to your stature? And that's probably more literally what it says. Who can add a cubit? A cubit is about 18 inches. And, and stature, that can, that can refer to height of the body, or that word can mean length of life. And so sometimes, uh, you know, the translation in the ESV is kind of a metaphorical translation. Who can add a single hour to his span of life? But either way, whether it's a, a cubit to your stature, whether, you know, you, you're not going to gain 18 inches by worrying, right? Imagine growing 18 inches at all. That's quite a thing, although I guess it happens for the, the children kind of around that certain age. But you can't gain uh, height by worrying. You can't add to your lifespan by worrying. In fact, if anything, it's going to take away from your lifespan, although God is sovereign over the days of our life. And I, I would have... Uh, you know, I, now at this moment, I'm wishing I would have put some of the verses in there. That, but God is sovereign over the days of our life. Those days are appointed for us, and there's no changing that. And so worrying about it, it isn't going to do anything. Both of them are not possible. You can't add a cubit to your stature, and you can't add a cubit to the length of your life. Both are impossible, and they're both impossible, especially by being anxious. And the point is, anxiety helps nothing. Anxiety profits nothing. Anxious thoughts are thoughts that don't actually address the problem. And usually anxious thoughts are irrational thoughts. They, they aren't productive thoughts. Most often they're, they're in the, the what-if area instead of actually dealing with reality. And all anxiety does then is take our focus off of God. Now there, there is a proper time to, to focus on and think of a concern and deal with that concern, but anxiety doesn't usually deal with it. It just kind of goes around and around and worries about it and doesn't actually sit down and think, how can we address this problem? And so another reason to stop worrying is that worry doesn't help anyways. Think about the problem. Think about the concern. Think about God and and bring the problem or the potential problem to God in prayer, but don't be anxious. It accomplishes nothing. And so number four then, another reason not to be anxious from our Lord, do not be anxious because number four, you are more enduring than grass. You are more enduring than grass. You're going to last longer than grass. And really, this one almost is the same as what we saw in number two, except now we, we kind of transition into clothing. And so look at verse 
28 to 30, it says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now Israel, as we kind of, as we kind of enter into this, Israel was a, a warm area. And, and with a, a good coat, you could survive even if you didn't have a, a home to live. You could, you could live and you, you could wrap yourself in your coat at night and you could sleep in the field and you would be fine. And so Jesus here asks then, why are you anxious about clothing? Why are you anxious about clothing? What a great question as you think about that for yourself. Why are you anxious? Well, f- for one thing, I guess you needed clothing to survive. The, 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 the cloth or, or especially the, the cloak that you would wear was, was needed for your survival. But, but why are you worried? And ultimately the answer, I think, is a failure to trust God or a failure to leave it to Him. Now Jesus says then, consider the lilies of the field. The, the, the wild flowers that grow or even the, the grass that, that makes kind of a, a wild flower. And, and this word there, consider, again, we're, we have more thinking words. Jesus wants us to think. He wants us to consider the flowers. He wants us to consider nature. The flowers, they don't labor. They don't work. They don't toil. They don't spin wool. Wool was kind of the primary material for making clothes and, and you would have to spin it and it was a, quite a process to make a garment. But, but, but they don't do any of those things, but God clothed the wild flowers of, of the field even better than he clothed wealth, wealthy Solomon. Now if God ensures that the flowers are clothed, will he not take care of your needs? And Jesus' argument is, of, of course he will clothe you. And by clothing, I think because of the, the nature of this in Israel, we're safe to assume that, that everything that we need for survival, God is promising here that He will provide for us. In verse 30, Jesus switches from the, the flowers to the grass, and both flowers and grass live a short, a short life. They, they, they last a short while. Today it's here, tomorrow it's thrown into the oven. And apparently there was, there was certain kind of clay ovens that were used to, to, and they would, they would cut down the grass and dry it and use it to heat the oven. And so the grass and the, and the flowers, they're, they're not considered valuable. God isn't overly concerned about the grass. Grass was, was here one minute, gone the next. It was, it was made to do that. Grass is transient and temporary. Grass and the flower of the grass kind of became a picture through Scripture of, of the transitoriness of our life, the, the temporary nature of life on earth. Just listen to some of these verses about grass and flowers and, and how they, they fade and wither. Psalm 103.15 As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. And the idea there is it's just a temporary flourishing and then the flower's gone. Isaiah verse 40, verses 6 to 8, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Grass and flowers wither and fade, and, and no one thinks much about throwing it in the fire. Our days on earth are, are kind of something like that too, but, but Jesus' point here isn't so much that, that we will wither or that, that we are like grass. His point is that we are, in a sense, not like grass. Our life on earth is short and temporary like grass, but unlike grass, after this life, we will live forever in heaven or in hell. And because we will ultimately live forever, God will clothe us too. If he thought about clothing the fading grass, then he will remember to clothe us. And we could even go further here as well. If he delivered you from hell through his son and clothed you in Jesus' righteousness as a garment, then he will provide the lesser clothes necessary for your existence. And so let's think about the Lord Jesus Christ as we, as we look at these passages. Jesus looks at the world and what does he see? When Jesus kind of looks at the world, he sees God at work. He sees God working through providence, guiding all things and directing all things. When, when Jesus looks around, he sees God feeding the birds. And he sees God clothing the flowers. And he sees man made in God's image. And he knows that God will care for man too. He sees redeemed man, God's children. And he says, God will care for you through your toil and through your labor. God will provide for you. Jesus sees God at work. But so often we forget and we don't recognize it and, and we don't believe it. We don't believe and, and, and often we don't think and we doubt and we worry. And so Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Why do you worry? Why do you not see God working in the world? Why don't you believe what he says and believe what he's doing? Oh, you of little faith. Little faith is not no faith, but it, it leads to anxiety. Little faith is when we don't trust God. Little faith is when we worry about our problems, when we go over and over in our mind about our concerns. Little faith is when we don't recognize God. Little faith is when we don't think about God. Little faith thinks, what am I going to do? Little faith thinks, What I wrote there doesn't make any sense what little faith thinks. Sorry about that. Little faith is, is worried and anxious. Little faith thinks, is, is God going to do this? Is God going to care for me? Little faith sees me and my problems and my potential problems. But faith sees God, who is my Father. Faith sees God who cares about me. And faith sees God is with me. Faith has confidence in God and what he's promised. Little faith thinks God is distant. Little faith thinks God doesn't care. Little faith thinks God won't help or that he can't help. And so we need to put away little faith and be men and women of faith. We need to believe God. We need to believe that he is good, that he is compassionate, that he is wise, that he is powerful. 
We need to think that He is with us, that we are His children, and He will surely care for us. And so faith in this context is simply believing God. Simply having confidence in God that we are His children and that He is with us and that He cares for us and He is able to handle our problems. Faith says God is way, way more powerful and greater than my problems. Little faith says my problems are so huge and my God is so small, but faith says my God is so huge, my problems are nothing at all to him. And it leaves it in God's hands. When a concern comes to mind, be mindful of God. There's no need to be anxious. He gave you life. You are valuable to him. Worry won't help anyways, and you are his son or daughter. You are more enduring than grass. Surely he cares about you more than the grass of the field that he just allows to be thrown into the fire. And then number five, do not be anxious because you are not a pagan. If you are a Christian and a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not a pagan. You are not a heathen. Look at verse 31 and 32. Therefore, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The Gentiles gods, with the small g, the Gentile, the Gentiles gods, the, the pagan deities were capricious. They were, they were angry and rash. And in the the Gentile mind, you could never really know if the gods were pleased or displeased. You could could never really know if they were satisfied with your offerings and your worship. And therefore, the Gentiles were insecure and and unsure. They didn't know where they stood with their, their small g gods. Was God happy or angry? They they didn't know. You know, uh, uh, would God bless them or curse them? No idea. I don't know what he's going to do. He might be angry today. He might just smite me today. They, they, they always hoped that they did enough. They always hoped that, that, that maybe they, they had pleased God sufficiently for him to leave them alone or maybe even a little bit enough just so that they might be somehow blessed or, or taken care of that day, but they could never really know for sure. False gods are like that. False ideas about the true God work in the same kind of way. There's, you're never really sure and, and you just hope you did enough, but you never really know where you stand. But brothers and sisters, we are not pagans. And we know the one true God. And we are His children and He is our Father. And we know that God accepts us and that we know that we are pleasing in His sight. And it's not because of anything that we've done. It's not because of anything that we do. It's simply because of what Jesus Christ did that we know that we are accepted in God's sight. And in case you don't know where you stand with God, just listen to what the Lord Jesus did here so that we could be accepted by God. God the Son, the one who is co-equal with the Father, the, the Son of God, came down to earth and he took on himself a human nature. And so God the Son, the the Lord Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man and he came to this earth and lived a perfect life, a holy life, a, a life of obedience to God's commandments, a life of perfect righteousness. 
And he lived that life as our representative. And then at the end of his life, he died on the cross. And on that cross, he bore the wrath of God. He took upon himself the, the fury and the anger of God's wrath against sin. He took on the sins of everyone who would ever believe on him. And when he died on that cross, he paid the penalty for sin that we deserved. And three days later, he rose from the dead, showing that he had conquered death and that he had fulfilled his mission and that through him, we too can raise to newness of life and be born again and be saved and be accepted into God's family. And through faith in this Lord Jesus Christ, he makes us righteous and he counts us as righteous so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he doesn't see our wickedness, he doesn't see our life before, but he sees the perfect righteousness of his beloved son. And so when God looks at us, he can say what he said about the Lord Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so through simply believing in Jesus Christ and, and trusting in him, we are counted as beloved. And so when God looks at us, he thinks, this is my beloved son. This is one in whom I'm well pleased. We can know that we are accepted into God's presence at all times through this son. And it's not based on anything that we have done or anything that we do, but simply on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord Jesus Christ brings us to God and he adopts us through this salvation as sons so that now we are brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are sons of God. We are part of God's family. And this gospel assurance then, this this salvation that we have means that that God is going to care for us as his children. That we are in God's hands. Our, our, our daily food and our daily clothing is in God's hands. And so with this faith in Christ then makes us live for God and makes us slaves of God, members of his household. And now as God's children, as God's slaves, he cares for us. And he provides for our needs and we don't have to worry about anything else. Just like a slave in the ancient world, they didn't have to worry about all those things. Their master fed them. And we have a wonderful master in heaven, a father in heaven who will care for us. The Gentiles were anxious, always worried about, about what they would eat or, or where they would get food, what, what clothing they would have, what, what shelter they would have. And when it says there, what we will eat or, or what we shall drink or what we shall wear, it's not so much that they were concerned about the actual food that they would eat. What am I going to eat today? It's more like, is there going to be anything to eat? Is there going to be any clothing for me? Am I going to be taken care of? They were always worried about their earthly security because they didn't know where they stood with God. They were always worried about where to get food and clothing and shelter. But that's not to be where we focus. Our focus is to be above. We have been set free to focus on higher things. And we are to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. God is our focus. And as we worship Him and love Him and serve Him, He will care for us much better than He does the rest of creation. And so we've seen then five reasons not to be anxious. Do not be anxious because you have life. Do not be anxious, number two, because you are more valuable than the birds. 
Do not be anxious, thirdly, because you can do nothing by worrying. It doesn't accomplish anything. Do not be anxious because you are more enduring than the grass. And do not be anxious because you are not a pagan. When I began, I tried to paint a picture of a, an anxiety-free disciple of Christ. A slave was cared for by their master. And we have no need to fear. No matter what happens in our life, God is with us. He cares for us. He provides for us. And He is Almighty. We will still work and toil, but ultimately we recognize that our life is in His hands. And that knowledge really changes everything, or at least that knowledge should change everything. And so when you're tempted to fear, remember what Jesus said, build up treasures in heaven and let your Father worry about the rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are our Father. And on this Father's Day, we celebrate the fact that You are our Father and that You care for us. We pray that you would forgive us for the times that we doubt and are anxious and worried and, and really in, in, in reality doubt you. Father, pray that you would help us not to be anxious. We pray that the, this reasoning would help us. We pray that when concerns come to mind that we would take them to you and think about your greatness and your compassion and your love for us and your power to handle all our needs. We thank you that, that all things work together for our good, and we pray that we would live in that light and that we would focus on the one thing of bringing glory to you in this life. And we ask it for your, for your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.